Hello and welcome to V'ger Please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. I'm your host, Peter. And I'm your co-host, Joseph. This this role reversal is fun, man. It's scary. I'm in a new place. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> you know, we have to mark and celebrate the milestone we've reached with this episode by doing things a little differently. So I thank you for just stepping out of the box. You know, that's good. I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm tingling. I have a new appreciation for all the hard work you put in. Uh, now's a good time to maybe cover some of that. Uh, let people see behind the curtain a little bit. We're at, uh, what is this, our 16th episode, I think? Yeah, it's gonna. this is going to be our 16th uh, kind of recording. Uh, it's our, our 15th episode of Voyager, depending on you know how you want to count the, uh, the pilot. We certainly hammered out a uh, a full season of Voyager. And uh, it's been an experience. It's been a ride. It's been, it's been ups and downs for us, Peter. Uh, there's been ups and downs in the quality of our show. We've certainly, uh, I think we've seen a steady increase, though. I think, we, I think we started at a B minus and, you know, we've accelerated all the way up to a high B plus. That's very generous of you. Uh, through all of these seasons, I want to go and call out some hard work on your end. Joe has uh, been responsible for all of the behind the scene editing and piecing together and, uh, you know, the growth of the show. We're getting some clip drops in there now, some some cool music uh, interludes and uh, some other production polish. And that's Joe footing the 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 work bill on all that stuff. Oh, thank you, Peter. I, it's actually been kind of uh, fun to learn. I've had some help figuring some things out. Our aforementioned friend, Matt Slayer from uh, and now we drink uh, podcast has, has pointed me in the right direction for some tools and some information on that. So, so props to him, but you know, I, I haven't fully used that power for evil though, but several times I've considered like editing out your audio when I disagree with you, which is like your stuttering that I edit out just like <laughs> in a row for 15 seconds. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm saving that for when you say something truly infuriating. The sickest so. of, when I get Seska on your ass and, and become the king of Burns. Yes. When you, when you become the sassy queen of Burns, instead is this going to be you going, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, the truth uh, always comes out, and you cannot hide the hotness that I drop on this microphone. I'll tell you that right now. I tried. Speaking of, uh, and now we drink, uh, one of our podcast family friends out there, I want to go to shameless plug in here real quick. My actual next door neighbor, I had a, a big contract at work that I was dealing with, and these people are in Texas. They send me some document like an hour after I get home, and they're like, hey, we need you to sign this. And it's like, pretty big deal we're talking about here and i'm like who who has a scanner laying around their house like this isn't the 90s i don't have a multi-function printer anymore <laughs> i got a laser jet over in the corner and that thing's covered in cobwebs so i gotta go next door and uh beg my neighbors to see if they have a uh, yield scanning technology and i go over and i'm upstairs in their bedroom which feels weird but I, I was there and I see this gaming computer set up with what's very clearly a podcast mic. And I'm looking and I'm like, man, gaming computer podcast setup. Like, am I a basic bitch? Is this something <laughs> everybody's doing now? Everybody have a podcast? Yeah, they. Uh, my neighbor started a podcast called Debate This. Uh, and I listened to it. And I want to ask you a question. Who do you think needs more attention between Reed Richards, Beta Ray Bill, Jubilee, and Ghost Rider. 
who needs more attention between the four yeah. of them? Yeah. I I would say the uh out of the four you mentioned, the character with the most compelling story to them uh would be uh Reed Richards, but the character I would want to see more attention to is Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the that's the subject content of their first podcast. I I actually picked up some pretty cool facts out of that. I had no idea that Reed Richards, that there is a inner dimensional council of Reed Richards that uh, Rick and Morty got the Council of Rick's idea yeah. off of. Council of Reeds, yep. I, That's uh, fucking awesome. They did a lot of interesting stuff with the Ultimates version of that character and kind of mm-hmm. turned him into a supervillain and and – you know, it's some that's some deep, 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 deep nerd shit right there. So uh, probably some cross uh, pollination with our own audience for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Check it out. Debate this. But jumping back over topics to uh, you trying to edit out the truth that speaks from my mouth. You yeah. conducted a yeah. ill-fated social experiment of trying to turn to Reddit to prove a point. And how did that go for you? Um, well, let me tell you, Peter, um, I went to, so there's quite a few different, um, Star Trek subreddits. There's the main Star Trek subreddit. There's the Star Trek subreddits for all the different shows. The, my, my favorite sort of kind of deep cut subreddit though is Daystrom Institute. So, uh, this is a subreddit kind of based around asking open-ended questions about Trek for discussion. And it can be from a, a meta textual to a in-universe question. And of course, I was desperate to prove you wrong about not liking the Vidian episode faces. Um, and and my point that you know the Vidians were secretly well written. Um, they was just with more nuance than we were used to. And uh, I uh, I went to the Daystrom Institute subreddit and I, I put a post up. It got over a thousand. Uh, views, a lot of activity, a lot of a lot of uh, votes, and all of that. Trying to explain my position and that yours was that they're just badly written. And for that episode, every single fucking person agreed with you, mm-hmm. and not with me. I could not convince anybody that I was right. Mm-hmm. I, although uh, I do want to uh, say that the best head cannon explanation for the phage that I ever saw was on that discussion. The Borg one. Yes, that so good. This, that a much better way of, of explaining the phage would have been the, the revelation that they infected themselves with it to avoid being assimilated. So good. That is so awesome. That would have been perfect. Which goes to show, it's a high quality subreddit. Like I like these guys. They're 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 uh, there's some deep cuts. You know, you came to me and you said you should go check out this thread that uh, I started trying to prove you wrong. And I told you on the air that I'm afraid of Reddit, man. I'm afraid yeah. of what I'm going to see there because uh, I can't say I'll be proud of of what I, I look at. And I was about to tell you, fuck off. I'm not going anywhere near you bringing us in front of a firing squad on Reddit. And then you told me that there's some keen appreciation for the hate I'm slinging and some of the, the hard points I stick to. And I told you, Flattery will get you everywhere. And I actually went and I read that thread and it was excellent. I want to give a special shout out to uh, Asthma. That's A-Z-Z-M-O. He did us a solid in that thread and I appreciate it. And hopefully uh, you stick around and we continue to uh, put some things over the air that you're feeling. 
Absolutely. Uh, we've picked up a few listeners, I think, uh, through our, our forays into Reddit, from what I can tell. So all of you are quite welcome. You know, stick around for, for future lulls. Um, it's going to be some ups and downs. I uh, hope you don't like the show too much, because I, I'm pretty sure we're going to get kind of savage here in a few minutes. But I had one last question for you, Peter. Yeah. You went to New Orleans last week, right? Yeah, man. We went down for a couple of days over the weekend for uh, some birthday celebrations. Uh, beautiful weather, good time. If you've never been to New Orleans, this will be my second plug for the show. One, listen to debate this. Two, stop whatever you're doing and make plans to go down to New Orleans because you're not – I don't think you're going to have a, as good a time in that city as you will anywhere else in the U.S., maybe even the world. I love New Orleans. Well, what was with these uh, pictures that you shared, though? Some bar? What, what, what happened there? It had something to do with the podcast. Yeah, so I want to say it was Friday night. We were supposed to go eat hamburgers and the line was too long or the restaurant was closing. Somehow we ended up some hot dog place uh, and my wife's eating a crawfish hot dog. And I don't even know what the hell I was eating because believe it or not, I was super drunk in the oh, French Quarter. No. And I see this uh, bartender who's taking our order and she's rocking some Trek patches, right? She's got a, a Kirk patch on this denim vest and then she's got original series you know star patch so being drunk and and full of myself after one year of being a ultra famous star trek voyager podcaster ultra famous definitely dozens of listeners (laughs) (laughs) i mean the, the the people the women the ferrari the sports cars you know i'm we are living the life over here make no mistake home listener this is shit's wild over here absolutely so i'm like hey that's uh you know that's that's cool you've got all this trek memorabilia you know you got your command patch on she cuts me off and she's like well actually this is science division which it's rare for me to have my nose rubbed in dog shit by some rando let alone a fucking bartender in new orleans but uh lo and behold she was right i was wrong so credit to her my original series iconography is not that strong but you know, I'm bragging her about uh, what a big shot podcaster I am and that, you know, we've got uh, these huge numbers. She's like, well, you should go check out upstairs because that's where all our Star Trek stuff is. And I thought she was bullshitting me, but we finished up our delicious hot dogs and went up there. And lo and behold, there's like this Shiva Chewbacca on the wall and Doctor Who and all these across the top, a bunch of model ships just hanging there from fishing wire. I don't know what it would look like going in there sober, but it was cool as fuck drunk. And uh, <laughs> I got some pictures and I'm talking to, you know, one of the friends of the show, Nate, because he was down there with us and pointing out stuff. And some girls like sitting at a table kind of giving me a side eye, like, what the fuck is going on here? And she's like, hey, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but what what is that ship up there? Because it doesn't look like the Enterprise. And I was like, oh, and it's, you know, the Excelsior B. So I give her the full history of uh the excelsior class and how that's actually an enterprise just not the one she's used to and uh her table looked pretty sickened by what they had to sit through <laughs> and i said uh that's why you don't ask people who are talking about star trek specific questions because you end up with situations like this so good time though on my end i think we can sum up new orleans in one phrase you said in that prior statement I don't know what it looks like sober, but it was pretty cool drunk. New Orleans, come visit us. Absolutely. 
All right, my friend. Speaking of things that were better drunk than sober, do you want to talk about uh, season one, episode uh, 15, Learning Curve? I would love to. Uh, okay. I would love to. Let's do it. All right. So why don't you, well, in this in the spirit of role reversal, why don't you start by taking the wheel here, my friend? Where does this episode begin? Okay. I got a new game I'm playing. And it's born from an experience I had earlier in the season where when I start these episodes, I pause them immediately and just look at that first frame and try to forecast what I think I'm going to be in for. Uh, In this situation, I pause it and it's some, I don't know, sandstone building materials, uh, windows and flowers. And I look at it and instantly I'm just like, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) Vomit inducing. If ever there was a Janeway holodeck intro, this is what I'm looking at. And lo and behold, I hit play and we are back to Janeway's weird Duchess gothic novel fantasy with these little kids. And I'm like, come on, man. You know, I I spent more time agonizing over the opening of this show than I think watching the rest of it. It's just it's mind boggling to me that they're wasting airtime with this shit. Like, what the fuck am I watching? Who who cleared any of this to go on the air? Who in that writer's room really thinks that any of this at all belongs in the context of a Star Trek? Janeway's fantasy. I mean, you could be doing anything in this holodeck you want. You could just be laying in an open grassy field, looking up at the sky and enjoying not being on a ship. She's in some stuffy old house with these kids that are like shit talking. They're like, Janeway, your life is babysitting insolent little children on a starship uh, who don't want to be there and are mean and snarky, potentially. You know, your job is herding cats and your runaway fantasy is being in charge of little <laughs> little bitchy kids. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> little tiny assholes. This, you know, this discount down nappy shit again. And as usual, Kate Mulgrew looks way more comfortable in the role of Janeway playing this governess than she does actually I'm, playing Janeway as Starship I'm naming Captain. these scenes the Mrs. Doubtfire Chronicles. So I'm watching, it's going on. And, uh, you know, when you're hitting pause as much as I am, and putting way more thought into these scenes than they deserve. They can kind of evolve quick and weird. And I'm sitting there, I'm watching this kid who's talking Latin to her like Sasser. You know, basically they're alluding that their dead mother isn't really. I, I hate that I'm taking our podcast time here to flesh out Shane's <laughs> fucking album. I was trying to I was trying to fast forward to the shit, but no, you wanna you wanna roll around in the pig shit. I'm in the I'm fucking okay. nitty-gritty. I, I'm gonna stop there. right now right. and say this this little kid, Henry. This little smarmy motherfucker who's like shit talking her in, uh, and again, this is her fantasy is, is having children treat her like garbage. Yes, uh, I'm gonna say Henry's got some acting chops. Uh, he might be one of the best male actors I think I've seen on this series yet. Like I went from hating the shit out of this scene to something like, you know what, this kid's a little hater. I think I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to throw him some respect here. What a perfect little turd they found. Yeah, I hate children actors, but this guy he holds down the scene pretty good. But, you know, before well, they get into the, 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 the meat of the scene, which is that uh, their mother's not really dead and probably just trapped up on the third floor where she's been forbidden from going. All of a sudden, these two characters just pop out. Janeway breaks character, calls a bridge and says, hey, uh, what's going on? Bridge reports back that uh, the Beta 4 power grid uh, is experiencing some technical difficulties. My question immediately is, what would the power grid of the ship 
in general have to impact this holodeck that is only on and powered because they can't use the power for the holodeck or something else anywhere yeah, else whatever you know whatever they uh they, they something went wrong technologically and it interrupted the captain's fantasy time of being shit on by a six-year-old they go uh send tuvok to investigate and he finds an open panel and uh, at that open panel is some rando helpy McHelperson crewman guy who's wearing a provisional rank pin. So that's that rectangle pin. So you kind of know this dude is Maquis from the jump. And uh, he's explaining, oh, hey, no, I was, well, I was walking by and one of these uh, bio neural gel packs that are the hot shit, hot technological uh, you know, innovation and in computing that the ship runs on. Wasn't working, so uh, I hung a new IV thing in there because that's what it looks like. It looks like IV bags that are like attached to uh, the plates that go on video cards that you like. I, I went ahead and swapped in a new one. I'm gonna take this old one down. We're gonna take a look and see what's up with it. And um, Tuvok gets all up in his shit because he didn't like radio in the call before he decided to fix it and it interrupted uh, the captain's the captain's fantasy time. Immediately, random Maquis dude. Uh, who we find out is named Dolby, Kenneth Dolby. He he makes it clear he's a man that's not governed by rules. He he plays out of his own playbook. He's a rebel. He's just going to do things his way because he's Maquis. And shits all over Tuvok and kind of rubs his face in it and then leaves. And that's the cut to credit. Let's take this scene out of the rest of the episode here. And again, when, when I'm watching these episodes, I'm hitting pause nonstop to kind of reflect in my little notebook here. You know, my first question is, is this dude a saboteur? You know, is someone in the walls intentionally fucking with ship system? Because we jump back to uh, uh, Oregon Trail uh, tablecloth episode. What was that one? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cathexis. Yeah, that's what, you know, sabotage on the ship and people playing around in the walls. It's a thing. And, you know, I would say that the ship should be growing from their experiences and be wary of this stuff. But, you know, Tuvok never really intonates that, like, hey, I suspect you of, of fuckery. It's, you know, takes it at face value. Like, oh, yeah, sure, you're in there fixing something. But you didn't radio in that you were fixing it first. And here's my problem. So it's kind of a cool scene because it's like you got this Maquis guy. My assumption is that he's doing something bad. But really, you know, he's just showing initiative and fixing things and and. Tuvok given a hard time because he didn't, you know, follow protocol and the repercussions of it and whatnot. Let me get this out of the way. The premise of this episode is not itself the problem. You know, the the premise of the episode being uh, we've got these terrorists who are on board, you know, with their Starfleet uniforms now and have to be part of a Starfleet crew and they're not fitting in because they're fucking terrorists and they need to learn how to not be terrorists anymore. That is a that is a episode this this show has been begging for, right? And we've gotten little bits and pieces of that with Balana and then Seska. Uh, really, he has a macro level problem that obviously there's like three or four dozen of these dudes on the ship uh, hasn't been touched on. So I don't mind the premise. It's just that they do it in the most ham handed and predictable way possible. This episode had more in common with a fucking episode of My Little Pony, where everyone learns that friendship is magic, than fucking Star Trek. And it uses every goddamn storytelling trope 
in these kind of relevatory, we all have to learn to get together type of stories that they could possibly figure out to use. And it's so predictable and so maddening. And sure enough, straight out the gate, this Dolby guy just like goes zero to 60 on Tuvok and climbs right up his butt and is like, you can't tame me. I'm a wild man. I know I live by no rules. I'm a lion. I have to just, I have to show my mane. Like what the fuck? Really? Like he just was telling you, you have to radio in before you fix something. That's all he fucking told you. Yeah. But no, we, we got to get this fucking shit ramped up as quick as possible because this is going to be our conflict, right? It can't be something naturalistic or or something that is, you know, more makes sense in context of real people. <laughs> it, it's, you know, they make Tuvok be a dick about this. I mean, had he come out a little bit more reasonable and like, hey, dude, look, you know, if you're in the wall and you touch the wrong wire and get like electrocuted to death, like no one's going to find you in here if we don't know you're in here, like safety first. But instead he leads out with uh some shitty Vulcan sass and they end up uh, back in Janeway's ready room explaining thing. It's Tuvok, Chakotay and Janeway. And uh, finally, you know, they address, oh, hey, some of the Maquis not integrating correctly. And they come to this cockamamie conclusion like, you know, Tuvok's like, look, we need discipline. Chakotay's kind of quiet. Yeah, I figured he'd step up and bat for these guys. But Janeway, instead of being like, yeah, bring Dobie up here and I'm going to chew him out because he's got a pretty bad record so far. She's like, well, we're not being fair to these Maquis people. They don't have the they don't have the blessing of a Starfleet Academy education. and We're holding them to standards that they don't know exist. So why don't we do the most condescending thing possible and <laughs> and cherry pick four people out of this entire uh, you know, regiment of Maquis we've brought in and put them through a mini Starfleet boot camp with the most abrasive person possible. The, the problem is that it's Tuvok who's the teacher. You know how much better this episode would have been if you just changed nothing except having Janeway say, you know what? I'm the captain of this ship. I'm going to be, you know, commanding these people for potentially the next rest of their fucking lives, depending on how long it takes us to get back. They have to respect me and they have to respect Starfleet. So commander, you and Tuvok are going to handle the ship, you know, affairs. You're going to handle all the command affairs for the time being besides, you know, Chakotay, you could probably learn a few things about how to, you know, be a first officer in Starfleet. Cause you were a terrorist for a while. I'm going to go teach these guys how to be Starfleet officers. And suddenly the dynamic is much different. And, would have been vastly improved because you would have had Janeway struggling with reaching, you know, like the, do the, you know, the Edward James Alvarez, how do I reach these kids? How do I reach these terrorists? How do I get them to respect me, respect Starfleet, respect the ship, respect their, their Starfleet brethren to not just be insular with the marquee people. And it would actually dovetail well into that intro of her being a governess and shit. All of the, the pieces were out there for them to create this episode in the right way. And they just, oh, now let's have the guy with no emotions that decides to put them through full metal jacket PG Star Trek condition instead. That'll go great. Joe, you uh, have hit many nails on the head. And I want to throw one more piece of, uh, of truth into this bonfire. Not only would it let her establish herself and, and bridge this gap and, and establish this federation authority that they can respect – it would give her an opportunity, I think, to redeem herself as a character and face the fact that a bad decision on her end 
has had very real impact at the lower decks and that she has condemned everybody to a life sentence of warping back towards home and finally laid to rest this animosity that I think viewership should be carrying that she created a bad situation. And, and I think they could have really just put a bow tie on the resolution for that whole thing well by making her accountable to the crew and and getting the crew on board and and moving into season two uh, with a clear air. You know, imagine what this episode would have felt like if you had the the climax that they had, and it's Janeway personally attempting to rescue a Maki crewman uh, and endangering her own life, and then getting bailed out by the rest of the Maki and everyone being like, "Okay, we are in this together. We have to make this work." You know, and everyone rallies around the captain on a personal level. You know, you were, we're sitting here at the end of season one. This is, of course, our season finale, or finale, and it's it's the same story uh, over and over and over again. It's if someone would have sat down with some of these scripts and some of these concepts and put some real critical thinking, I think there could have been a really solid series on uh, Star Trek's hands. And instead, they make so many wrong turns. I. If they were to say, hey, we're going to go through and redo Voyager and reboot it, I think I would actually be interested in watching it. I think there's some some great potential here. Oh, sure. I mean, shit, this has been a TV show for 60 years. Lost in space, put the this kind of premise on the map. And there's been countless television shows and movies uh, that have aped that, that whole premise since then. And one of the best sci-fi shows ever made – and one of the best TV shows ever made, period, is what? Battlestar Galactica, which is very much like this in terms of we are stranded in an island in a stream of stars trying to find our way home. I mean, the whole premise is good. S- Star Trek could do this premise in a very unique way. Occasionally, the show is pretty good. Uh, unfortunately, most of the time it's mediocre or like this episode, just kind of shit. Just kind of a, a wet fart that goes out there. And speaking of wet farts, let's talk about our four Maquis friends that will be joining on this little adventure. Our sort of discount lower decks. Uh, quad, you know, like if you remember that TNG episode. Love it. One of my favorites. One of the best ever. You know, you had the four junior officers that you followed to this. Well, the four Maquis members that are going to be joining for this adventure are uh, discount Rosie the Riveter, some rando bullion who likes to talk his name's cho and i know that cho. because he's a pimp <laughs> as you can tell by the heavy pimp jewelry that he is forced to remove in the next scene um a quiet bajoran quote kid who looks like he's 32 <laughs> a quiet and bajoran then, sissy and then dolby tuvok you know attempts his first try at at uh you know getting these guys in line for some training and they all basically tell him to fuck off and leave. I like this scene. And and this is the one thing I, I'm going to give some credit to the way that Voyager works is, again, as I'm riding the pause button, I think they do a really good job setting up some obvious questions that you and the audience should be asking. So, so you know, Janeway tells, hey, Tuvok, instead of me doing my job and, 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 and developing as a character, why don't we try to jam a, a round peg through a square hole? Uh, asshole. Vulcan, you're going to lead this boot camp of four people, which seems ridiculous. Like you've got how many Maquis on the ship and that's only four people that you really think need this extra uh, beneficial (laughs) attention. Janeway's pitch in this thing is like, we're doing these guys a favor, right? But we're only going to do it for four people, whatever. Um, 
and uh, you know they throw him in there and uh Tuvok just comes in like a total asshole about like hey you know your uniform's too loose and this and that and he's ragging on everybody about this stuff the bolian and those are the blue guys with the line down their face yeah like mr Mott, know, the barber he starts arguing and Tuvok's like, well, you're going to go run laps like he's the high school uh, football coach. And I'm like, well, what if this dude just tells him, no, I'm not going to do this and fuck you. <laughs> like, you're not going to put us in the brig. Like, how much shit can they get away with before he basically has to put the Vulcan neck pinch on somebody? And they answer that question very quickly when, like you said, everybody's just like, no, fuck you. We don't actually care. Uh, you can take a sugar frosted fuck off the tip of our dick and we are out of here. <laughs> Dobie in particular, and you're shitting on this Dobie guy. I actually like him. Uh, you know, I was rolling my eyes pretty early on, but I think as far as like background support characters for Voyager goes, like this dude, this dude's pretty solid. And uh, in the world of post scarcity, uh, he he's he's seen some shit, and uh, I like. Uh, yeah, we we get to exactly what he sees later. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Oh, that was that was the crowning moment of the episode. <laughs> you know, you know that GIF with like the guy who's just like, eh, I'll post it up on the thing. But the guy's like, wait, wait, what did you say? Like that was my face. <laughs> and they get into his stuff. But uh, oh, so they all are like, yeah. hey man, fuck you, and we're out of here. We're gonna go hang out at the bar instead of play your little Starfleet uh, fantasy high school adventure. And uh, off they go. They're like, well, what the fuck are they going to do? They can't fire us. We don't want this job to begin with. They can't just throw in the, the, us in prison. They need us to run the ship. You know? And so to their credit, know. too, they're like, you know, you know, we don't feel like playing soldier out here. We're going to do a job and we're going to get the job done. And, and, and we all want to get home. And nobody here is looking to sabotage anything. But, you know, fuck these guys. We didn't sign up for this. 100% understandable. It would have meant so much more if there was just – it was like – it weren't just these four assholes if they were just representative of the worst and they made it clear like there's other Maquis who are more marginal, you know, this is like Maquis like, breakfast club kind of. I mean, yeah, is, it is, is that what they're going for. The killer point to me was like when Tuvok's sitting there and criticizing these people, like telling Chell he has to get rid of his pimp chain, which you couldn't even see. The, the head scratcher for me was uh, when they start ragging on the uh, the moody Johnny Depp Bajoran kid. Mm -hmm. And. He makes him pull his Bajoran earring off, but didn't Ro Laren get to have hers on? Yeah, but that was her prize that she bargained with Picard over for solving the dilemma in that first episode she was in. You know, like that that after she solved the issue with the Bajoran terrorists in that an episode, that was basically what Picard let her get away with. Good call. But I, I don't understand. Like, you know, she's got hers and you're saying that's normally a uniform violation. Like, Worf gets to wear his sash and no one gives him any shit about it. So, you know, you got Tubak busting everybody's balls on this thing. A, a few scant episodes earlier, he's committing open mutiny and trading away the Federation uh, database to the Skevians to get their warp drive technology, which is a botch. Like Tuvok's got no real credibility to sit here and ride on this protocol's high horse. No, I agree. But as the underlying weakness of the episode, he's just the worst person to have doing this because yeah. he doesn't show emotion. We had this conversation, I think just <laughs> last, last uh, episode we did where Vulcan characters tend to be bad ones when you want to have the emotional weight carried 
um, by that character. Now, particularly good actors can make emotionless or you know emotionally struggling characters still work in those contexts. Leonard Nimoy was famously good at it. It may be even so good that it's sort of made it difficult for anybody else to measure up. But Jerry Ryan certainly does a pretty good job of it later on in the run of this very show. But Tim Russ is basically playing a very self-assured, tactical-minded, disciplinarian Vulcan who has no emotional nuance. He's very, very Vulcan, which is fine as long as you don't have to give him an episode where it requires him to have emotion and to care about what's going on around him. A breakthrough moment. Exactly. Enough He's about not the Tuvok. guy to like. Fuck. Ugh, you're right. Fuck. Tuvok. Let's let's get to my favorite Chakotay scene of all time. <laughs> so he rolls in on these guys when they're at the bar saying "fuck the man," and he like sits down like he's being sympathetic at first. Such a good setup, and he's like, "Oh, what's going on, guys? You just want to do things in Maquis way," and they're like, "Yeah, the Maquis way." And it's it's such clear telegraphing, and for the first time ever, I'm just fucking loving it. And sure enough, he like it's like, "All right, I guess we can do things in Maquis way." And then he like puts his coffee down, and then he does. The world's best worst stage punch on Dolby. He like <laughs> lunge punches him out of the chair like like Sagat from Street Fighter and just blasts <laughs> this dude with like this weird left-handed thrust punch right across the jaw, lays Dolby out on the floor. Like the room kind of flares up and like these two surfer Cali bro dudes stand up in the back. Like I don't know if people are like fronting on Chakotay, like they're going to attack him back. Or if it's like the Maquis forces unifying under Chakotay and being like, yes, we will do things now your way. But like, it's just a ridiculous scene and I love it. It is a completely ridiculous scene. And what is more ridiculous to me is that suddenly somehow Chakotay punching Dolby in the face is what's like, oh, I guess I got to be Starfleet now. Like you didn't a second ago, you weren't relying on Chakotay to back you up. You were just using the hard logic of the situation to say, fuck all y'all. There's very little you can actually do to me for not wanting to play by your reindeer games. And suddenly your old boss showing up and punching you in the face is going to like be like, oh, I guess I can't punch him back, dude. I mean, isn't that like what you're saying? It's four on one. Y'all can take him. Maybe what he was saying is like, you know, they're not going to put us in the burger. There's nothing like now that ass whoopings are on the table. Dolby's seeing the world in a little bit of a different uh, light. I'm going to go off topic, but this is this scene really drove things in. I want to talk about the uniform style that you're seeing on the ship, particularly the zipper. Okay. You've got Tuvok, who I think zips the jumpsuit zipper up as much as possible. And even like the tips that don't have zipper track on them, like kind of like fold outward. It's like the Starfleet people zip it up high. Maquis, and especially in this scene, now that you're seeing like the CD Maquis bar scene or whatever like they're down pretty low they're showing a lot of purple turtleneck and uh, it reminded me of a story my friend kim went to uh, catholics school catholic girls school she told me about the uh the pecking order and how you could tell people social girl social station in catholic uh school by how short their skirts were like everybody had to wear the same skirt but like the popular girls would roll the waistband and like make the shirt, the skirts shorter. So like they'd show more leg and that was, that was how you knew you were cool. That's what I think is going on. Voyagers like the more bad boy you are, the further that bad boys unzipped. They're rocking the, the V neck look 
just to show that they, they're rebels without a cause. They just don't care about your Starfleet uniform regulations. So they're going to take it to the max. They're going to take that zipper all the way to the maximum allowable limit, which is basically where the color patch hits the black part of the uniform. Mm-hmm. You know, they're really riding the edge there. That's good. That's, I, uh, I think that's their uh, that's their silent resistance is, you know. No more Cardassians be better, maybe. murder, so this is all they've got. <laughs> <laughs> if they can't kill Cardassians, they're going to kill that dress code. So it's actually the follow-up scene, you know, after Dobie gets blasted in the mouth by uh, uh, Chakotay's Native American uh, uppercut. <laughs> that uh, His falcon punch. Yes, his Native American falcon punch, uh, which now that I've seen him break that, uh, that out, Paris better watch his ass because, you know, he makes one more joke. Maybe... Hey, Maybe Chicote is, is going to peel him off a fresh one. Chicote or Paris has that life boon or that life debt over him. So I, I think Paris is a good company man. You know, he's got to stay on the captain's good side if he wants to continue to have you know special per, per, the special privileges that we all know Tom is enjoying mm-hmm. with Captain Janeway. So you know he's got to be on the straight and narrow. You know, every once in a while he'll 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 put an, uh, an upchuck this joke in there, but he's he's playing his cards right. I think. But Dobie gets knocked the fuck out. Next scene, they're back in the uh, cargo bay, and now they're kind of playing by Tuvok's stupid rules. And this is where Tuvok cracks down on Chell and his pip chain and some of the other clothing infractions. But Yeah, the Bajoran Johnny Depp guy's got scuffed yeah. boots and gets rid of his earring and whatever. They do all of that shit, and they're all, yes, sir, you know, like, fairy, like, I guess we'll have to do it. And then... We get some more shit going wrong with the gel packs. So I guess it's worth pointing out that in an earlier scene, uh, they said that there's uh, a limited amount of these gel packs as backups on the ship. There's only 47 and they, they can't run the ship without them. Um, they don't have like a nice linear chip computer backup. And so it's a big design flaw in your exploration focused vehicle, of course, but this isn't the fucking first one of those. Nice job uh, episode and specifically not addressing why you can't just replicate more of these things. Right. There's like we can't replicate them and there's kind of like just their minds wander off someplace else. And mind you, these are the same people can replicate organs, but they can't. Apparently- lungs, holographic lungs, people. Just tell the doctor to figure it out. Eventually he will. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this gel pack sick? What's it going to do? Die? Because we got a we got a protocol for that. Dr. Frankenstein can just give <laughs> me. <laughs> Give me a couple of bad gel packs. I'll Frankenstein them back together. It'll be good as new. Maybe even stronger with an aversion to fire. The, the, the issue is that these things keep fail, failing and and uh, it's a, it's going to be a problem if they keep failing. So they take one of the dead gel packs to sickbay because it's a biological component. And they say, hey, Doc, um, can you tell us what's going on with these? Can maybe you figure this out? And there's like a cheesy scene where the doctor is now trying humor. So he he doesn't want to violate HIPAA for the gel pack. <laughs> he doesn't want to discuss his his medical condition without his you know the consent form being signed, which is funny if you've ever had to deal with HIPAA regulations before, which it's probably like three of you. And um, but ultimately he says it's sick. It has a disease. It has some kind of contagion. Um, it's not communicable to people from what we can tell, but. Uh, that's what's going on with it. So I'm going to try and figure this out. So the gel packs are sick. 
That's the that's the the B plot is that the the ship has literally got like some sort of disease. For the record, solid B plot in my book, and and this will be something I'm touching on later when we do our uh, our overall thoughts. But uh, you know, anytime they start exploring Federation technology, specifically Federation technology that is not working as intended, it's got my attention. If they had spent um, six seconds explaining why they can't replicate new ones, I could have bought it. But because sure. Fair but because they never like pin down a reason of why it somehow can't be replicated, even though they've managed to replicate things that is far more or said they can replicate things that are far more uh, nuanced than a fucking bioneural gel pack. Then I'm just like, whatever. This is just this is just to provide us with something to, to bind the A plot together. So next scene, I want to go ahead and throw out a congratulations here on somehow finding an even worse uniform to put these poor people into. Oh, the away team uniform. Yes, the jumpsuit uniform. Uh, we see this. Uh, we, this this is not its last appearance, my friend. Oh, no. Yeah. What? Yeah. We, we They've got look. these people in these terry cloth nut hugger jumpsuits, short sleeve train wrecks. Because Tuvok's like, you know, the, the backbone of this learning experience for understanding federation protocols and expectations is of course going to focus on needless physical training these the montage that they go through in this episode for the training is the most boring training montage i have ever seen in fiction it is this way too long meditation on them going up and down uh, some some ladders and then running through a couple sets. It's it's so boring. It is the closest look you will ever come to have in all of Star Trek as to what Federation footwear is in use. It is a series of of shots of people's feet right in your face as they put the camera behind the ladder. And these are guys are going up and down Jeffrey tubes. And you see these big, ugly ass shoes, which... I thought was maybe something they just put together on the set. Lo and behold, these are actually uh, Michael Jordan, or I'm sorry, Air Jordan Series 10 sneakers that these guys are rocking, which I think is pretty cool. But uh, they got these things dressed up super ugly. And it's just like, why are you having these guys run through the fucking deck? This is already the most condescending thing possible. And you're basically parading them around the ship and being like, these Maquis are now our bitches and we're going to fucking run them through this bullshit training regimen. Like, you, you got the holodeck and its endless supply of energy that nothing else can use. Put them in the fucking holodeck and, and have some sort of cool drill ground, not parade them through the ship. Actually, I mean, we talked about how the holodecks are the danger rooms, right? Yeah. Holy shit. What an opportunity to like do some cool shit in the holodeck with an actual like training thing if you want to do that. But no, instead, we're going to have this montage. that's like five or six minutes of this dramatic music of these actors going up and down fucking ladders and running through the hall set and then running through the mess hall set. And then that's it. And, it, and cargo all bays. All they're doing is a 10K run. I understand they have packs on and that Tuvok fucked with the gravity a bit, but like. Which seems really disrespectful. So, yeah, like you're like, oh, God, they get to the end, like, ah, we're so tired. And uh, Tuvok's like, no, you got to run because we lapped you twice. And then he reveals it, like, oh, it's hard to run on this deck because I changed the gravity. You change the gravity on a whole fucking deck on this cramped ass ship so you can make life harder for these four people. Why are they wearing packs then? They're Goku and they're training for a big fight with Frieza. And <laughs> hey, I made that joke and my wife was like, I don't care about Dragon Ball Z. I was like, God damn it. 
Well, she's trying to be uh, discourteous to a large segment of our population viewers. So it, it just it was so painfully dull. And Tuvok's doing the like I said before the Full Metal Jacket boot camp thing, but it's like the PG version. And it doesn't yeah. even make sense in a 24th century context. Like no. Starfleet obviously doesn't break people down like this anymore because it's not necessary. Like this boot camp training thing was is done to institutionalize the would-be soldier or sailor into the military and and break down who they are so they can be rebuilt as a as a cog within that greater machine and ultimately interchangeable and potentially disposable. That's the entire psychology behind it. Starfleet is absolutely the opposite in terms of that. They embrace individuality. They embrace what you bring to the table. They embrace cooperation. They embrace you striving for the better version of yourself and humanity and all of that stuff. And so this exact kind of training makes no fucking sense in the 24th century. None. It also makes you think that Tuvok has some sort of a learning disability, that he's just that dense that – doesn't realize that nothing he is trying is working on these guys. And in fact, he's just making a bad situation even worse and alienating and completely going against what his orders were. And that is to integrate these Maquis elements better into the crew. Right. He's just, he's just pissing them off. And, and what kills me is they have this war game simulation in the holodeck. Finally, with it's just a, a bridge recreation where they're all going to go through a command scenario. And in the scenario, Everybody does their jobs exactly correctly. Flawlessly. Flawlessly. Have you played, uh, have you played Artemis yet? No. Artemis is that uh, computer. Mm-hmm. People at home, go download this thing right now. It's fucking awesome. It's a, it's a, you get a bunch of computers together in a LAN party and everybody's at a different command station, you know, weapons, whatever. It, it, it's a bridge simulator. It I, is I, hard. I've played Star Trek Bridge Simulator, which is No, very good. this is. Have you? Have I never talked to you about Artemis? Oh, you have. I've just never had an opportunity to play it. This thing blows out all the. When you got people that are responsible for doing jobs and trying to coordinate these, it is a hard game to play. And I got mad respect for anybody who can like command a ship on this. These Maquis dudes, like that, is a flawless bridge environment. They're like, yeah, yeah. At the end, they stay and they stick in a fight. That's a no-win situation. Two box talking points on sometimes retreat is tactically sound, solid, but it doesn't give these guys any sort of props for you know following protocol and all the other stuff that is the whole reason that they're there for. The only thing that they quote unquote do wrong is that Dolby, who's never going to be in command, commands them to fight to the end. On a technical level, every single person does exactly what they're supposed to. And he's, he's like fucking dogging them like they fucked up horribly. It's like, no, unless you put Dolby in command of the, of, of the, of the ship, <laughs> these guys actually look like they got their shit together pretty tight. Like they're they're yeah. doing their jobs, and it's the, it's dumb. That whole plot's dumb, but it's not nearly as dumb as the explanation as to why the bio neural gel packs are failing. Speaking of cheesy jokes, holy fucking shit! So Snarf Snarf is talking to Tuvok about how he can reach these keys, right? That's is the ostensible reason the next scene happens is that he's detecting Tuvok's off props to Snarf Snarf because he actually like shows like all of the habit driven things that he's not doing that clued him into this. 
And mm-hmm. as he's explaining this, he's in his hobo kitchen with his open fires and he's obviously doing some stuff. <laughs> and, and, you know, he's 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 got some cheese and he's spreading cheese into this pot where he's making some macaroni and cheese, he says, for a crewman that specifically requested it. And Tuvok starts to look up and he sees a vent right above where the hobo kitchen is, which, of course, is, you know, not shit's not OSHA compliant or health code compliant because that was never supposed to be a hobo kitchen. And he's like, wait a second, where'd you get cheese? Where's that cheese from? And he's like, oh, I made it. And he's like, oh, no. Oh, no. And sure as shit, what happens? They bring in the, the fucking hazard squad. They've got the goddamn cheese in a in a container that's more secure than the shit they were beaming star fragments into. And yes. sure, sure enough, the goddamn cheese is the reason why the fucking bioneural gel packs are sick. It's the fucking cheese that he made with all the bacteria that's causing. They got that shit locked down. They've got people all over the place like there's a fucking biohazard. I, I lost coherence in my notes. I just have what, what with cheese, cheese, what, what the fuck cheese. Those are that's what I wrote. You remember my uh, head cannon uh, backstory on Neelix that he's really a uh, Talaxian saboteur. Yeah, yeah, I do. Chalk up another uh, solid evidence uh, file that he is actively trying to fucking wreck the ship. And they have that cheese locked in like it is the Ark of the Covenant. It yeah. is It is more secure. Than it's when not just the test tube that they're putting like the starfish babies into. Like this one actually has like physical bars around it. So like people can't get like if rat people raid the ship to get the cheese, they can't actually get their hands in there to get the cheese. <laughs> This cheese goes off to, like, Voyager Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> I take him to sick bay, and the doctor's like, this is the most pernicious contagion I've ever seen in my career. Apparently, yeah. Neelix missed his calling. He could have been a bioterrorist. You know, he like- is a bioterrorist, <laughs> goddammit. That's what I'm telling you. This is intentional. This is what they did for the season fucking finale. This is what I want to get to that later. Man. Oh, my That's- God. I got a whole thing for that. But uh, so, you know, Neelix's takeaway from this is like, look, you need to not do everything you're doing, which is actively drive these people away. You need to connect and you need to find a, a bridge to work with these guys uh, on. Otherwise, you're just going to keep fucking up and things are going to get worse. So uh, Tuvok whips up <laughs> again. You've got the holodeck there. You're not going to use the holodeck to create training environments to train the people you're trying to train, but you're going to use a holodeck to create a, a French fuck pad flop house pool hall. So, you know, big Tom's discount sex farm makes yet another experience here. And, and Tuvok decides to try his hand at some pool with Kroom and Dolby. And uh, they start talking and he is doing the Tuvok's doing the most awkward small talk shit you've ever seen. And, um, ask about Dolby and you know his family and his his background and here's where the episode just 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 absolutely goes off the rails (laughs) it does it shocks the shit out of you so Dolby's just talking about like yeah I was a rebel I was a rough I was a rough and tumble guy but then you know I moved out to the the Bajoran frontier and I uh met met my wife and you know, she she was the one for me. She really like calmed me down and showed me that there was another way to live. And then I watched 
as Cardassians raped and then murdered her. Just that's what he says. That is probably the most R-rated Star Trek story, I think, out of anything that I have seen. And that's going to go ahead and include uh, the shit that I watched in Discovery, which is pretty graphic. I'm like kind of watching this this milk toast scene and he drops Cardassian rape and murder gangs. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, Dobie, you are a bad motherfucker. Like, I thought you were kind of right off before. You have seen some shit, Dobie. You got a real good reason for being in the Maquis. Uh, you are the loose cannon bad boy. Move over to Tom Paris because <laughs> what the fuck? Like, it was the first time I've ever heard someone have legitimate enough beef that I believe that they would be a terrorist to destroy Cardassians. First time. Like, yeah, yeah. they raped and murdered my wife in front of me. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> all right, all all right this- dude. Okay, you know what? Cool. You're cool. You're, you're good. You know what? You want to fix things in the wall and not tell us first? You, you go ahead, Dobie. You fix things in the wall without radioing, and maybe you don't need to be running laps after all. I think you've seen enough suffering in one lifetime, then. I think you you get a pass. You know what, buddy? Do you just do you just want to, like, have the job that we, you know, like, do you just want to, like, clean toilets? Do you want to do something just that just you don't have to worry about anything? Like, you don't have to. You don't have to do anything. You can be the fucking tour guide on the ship. Like, it's okay, pal. Oh, man. And the way it gets played off in the rest of the scene, you know, because Tuvok can't show any emotion. He's just, uh, I I don't have any stories that would compare with yours. That's yeah, he gets stunlocked, basically. <laughs> he's like, duh, where is, <laughs> where is Chakotay, like, sucker lunch punched Dobie in the mouth in the mess hall? Like, Dobie is now sucker lunch punched Tuvok in the mouth in the holodeck. And, uh, yeah, there, there's nowhere for Tuvok to go. Scene wraps, and uh, I don't even know... I don't even know what happens in the rest of this episode. Like once he lays that, that fucking story out there, I'm just kind of like, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, same here. It, 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 oh, it was just brutal. And could you imagine what that scene would have been like if it was Janeway who was doing this with them? Well, I'd assume she'd immediately start close talking him and like physically graft herself onto his shoulder and like badger him into forgetting the past or something. Oh, that's true. You could just get right their boobs right up in them and just get that co- closely tight shot because Janeway doesn't understand personal you space. You know what? That's exactly what happened because when when Snarf Snarf lays on Janeway like, oh, by the way, Dr. Mengele blew up my entire planet. <laughs> and her, her reaction is to be like, well, you know, maybe we should just play along with what he wants. No big deal. Is, 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 Old downplay is Janeway. Is suddenly like – is, J- is Janeway suddenly like your Aunt Gertrude who smokes a pack a day? Well, come on now, Snarf Snarf. That's my Janeway voice. You gotta give him a chance. Now give your aunt a kiss. That's that's my Janeway command voice. But uh, yeah, old downplay Janeway. I, I, I think she'd uh, just tell Dobie you gotta let the pass go and report for duty on time. That's your takeaway there. Who who the fuck cares what happens in this episode after hey, that? It's pretty so, – so let me try and wrap things up here. Basically uh, – Chakot, I'm sorry, Tuvok continues to not use the holodeck for training like he should. He's running this shit out of Cargo Bay 3 or who knows. He's uh, harassing these guys and uh, the gel pack situation gets worse. They have some critical failures. The Cargo Bay door predictably locks and traps them in there. 
and then some power nodes start blowing up around the ship. One of the plasma relays or something in uh, that cargo bay goes bad, starts spewing off poison gas. Tuvok dispatches uh, Bajorn jo- Johnny Depp, Bajorn Depp, up to a <laughs> okay. console that's for some reason up in the ceiling. Or I, I don't even. Oh, I think he set him up there to try and open the door. Whatever. The kid gets knocked out. Poison gas is venting. And they're like, all right, we got to escape through this hatch. And on the bridge, they come up or no, I think a doctor calls the bridge and says, hey, we got a way to work through this. We're going to mimic the humic body. We're going to subject a Voyager to fever and try and basically overheat everything and burn this infection off. And they do it. And when they go to raise the temperature by what, stressing out the warp engines or something? Yeah, they basically create a, a microwave oven in the ship by reversing the warp field. It's a novel idea. I kind of got the what they were going for. They just basically create a bunch of heat off of the warp field to to cook the the ship enough so that it burns the infection away. So maybe I'll tell you what they don't do while they're intentionally running the engines to try and overheat the ship. You know, they, they've got some systems problems, right? Some of the uh, you know doors aren't opening and, and turbo lifts aren't working and whatever but they got enough control that they can run the fucking warp engine no point does the captain like jump on the pa and be like hey everybody we're having some problems we're gonna run the ship temperature up you're gonna hear the warp drive going crazy that's us just bear with us there's no forewarning so like she starts to just cook everybody in the ship with no forewarning i can only imagine the chaos going on on top of the fact you got stuff exploding now it's gonna get up to like a hundred and whatever degrees 150 degrees that's what how much in, in kelvin they when, when they when they say how hot it has to get it's that's how hot it is on the ship so it gets hot as hell everybody's doing their oh i'm so hot and sweaty and tired thing nobody's like unzipping their uniform or taking the goddamn turtleneck off so i i doubt it's really that hot uh i can only assume people are going crazy because they think they're going to be cooked alive that the bridge hasn't kept them in the loop tuvok tells everybody to to clear the cargo bay before the poison gas kills them And then predictably, he stays behind and puts on the, you know, seals the Jeffrey's tube behind him so they can't get away. And then goes off and tries to drag uh, this kid out of the poison gas towards the command panel. Uh, The four misfits return without any help whatsoever, but they found a a big crowbar along, a space crowbar along the way. Pry open Mm -hmm. up uh, the cargo bay door drag everybody out of the, the cargo bay and uh, Dobie and Tuvok find some camaraderie in the fact that Tuvok was willing to sacrifice himself for Bajor and Depp and off they go to sick bay with no real resolution to the rest of the episode. They, they pretty much just draw the curtains there and uh, that's that. The only thing this episode was missing was a letter to Princess Celestia to truly drive home, you know, that friendship is magic. I, this is where they leave the whole fucking season. This is it. Like, all right, and the ship goes away, and we don't come back for six months. So let me give you my breakdown on this uh, now that we've made it to the end. I thought this was a a good episode, and if we take it in the context of what I want – and that is a series of events across seven seasons of a show to create a world. And basically, that's what they're doing. They're, they're world building. 
um, this has a lot of really choice stuff. It has an exploration into the gel packs. It has a Maquis Starfleet disconnect that I've been begging for to be addressed for a whole season. If they had dropped, if this was season one, episode seven, episode 10, somewhere in the middle there, I think mm-hmm. that this would have been all things considered a very good episode for Voyager. Not maybe not a great episode, you know, in real TV grading, but for Voyager, a strong one. How in the fuck did they decide to run this as a season finale? This might be one of the worst season finale choices I've seen on any show anywhere. I completely agree that it is one of the worst season finales I've ever seen on any show. Um, I would not say it's a good episode, though. I would say even if it – I would say it would have, wouldn't have been as bad. Conceptually. 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 Yes. Okay. Conceptually, the A plot conceptually, I am I, – I think had a lot of promise. I think they did everything wrong in execution. I think the the, the fact that it's Tuvok, that's the, the fulcrum that we're supposed to, to have this orbit around is a terrible choice. I think the B plot with the fucking cheese that Neelix made is the reason why the ship's failing is just laughably stupid. I think it's poorly paced. I mean, Jesus Christ, there's a rape bomb in the in the third act just that comes out of nowhere. I but conceptually I'll grant. I actually I think I even said earlier on I liked the idea behind it. It makes a lot of sense. But the, the cheese fact- thing didn't really bother me as much like it's a legit exploration of criticisms I had earlier on. Like when you're doing stuff that isn't supposed to happen in the ship, that it's going to have impacts. I think him cultivating dangerous space cheese, not cognizant of the fact that there are organic components. Like I'm not going to fault to say that cheese was the worst thing to have be the reason for a major system it's malfunction. Just, it's just so fucking silly, dude. Like they, they, yeah. they couldn't come up with a bet. I mean, yeah, I agree with that sentiment. But they just came up with the most sh- stupid, childish way of doing a plot around it. Fucking yeah. Snarf Snarf making cheese in his fucking hobo kitchen. That's what we're <laughs> going with for this? Like, ah, oh, yeah. Jesus. For your finale, for your for your big, like, this ship is in danger and everybody's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> Not because of a computer virus or, you know, legit saboteuring, but like. Cheese. <sighs> yeah. A, a tongue-in-cheek, like, you know, the, the writer's just nudging you with their elbow like, <laughs> it's cheese, get it? Like, no, stop. But uh, yeah, I mean, if this <laughs> stop, get some help. <laughs> yeah, if if they, they had plugged this in earlier and not made it uh, the finale, I, it it's a lot of things that I like. But in the wake of you saying, "Hey, this should have been a Janeway centric episode, and not Tuvok," absolutely right. I didn't take that into consideration earlier, but you are one hundred percent right that they could have they could have made this into season finale material had it been Janeway. And again, at the end, she had had to apologize and say, I'm sorry I got you into this mess. I'm willing to make things right. And I'm willing to, you know, sacrifice my life to to save even the lowliest of crewmen. And the Makita begrudgingly turned her and say, you've got our respect now and our shenanigans on our past. Let's do this thing and, you know, warp off to season two with that chapter in the book closed for good. I think that would have been an excellent way to do it with this plot. And instead, we got garbage. We got shitty. The learning turd. (laughs) We, We We got a, a extended montage scene of people going up and down 
uh, ladders. We got uh, modified Air Jordan tens. We got we got cheese. We got we got a whole bunch of of C list guest star actors. That we just we didn't. Do get they much. bring Doby back, or is this his uh, one and done? There's I know Chell gets a little bit of play later on. One and done. Oh, Chell's the only one who shows back up. It's too bad, man. I I dig Doby. I was kind of you know I cut him a lot of slack in this because I'm like you know they bring this guy back around. I I can respect him. Yeah, and then again, okay, you're not going to use the character again. Like, he's got so much screen time. Like, whatever personal growth you want to say that Tuvok makes, and this is directly, you know, joined to this guy, and they're not going to break him back out again. Like, what the fuck? Well, I mean, they don't even break back out uh, Joe Carey, and they spent several episodes building him up. A lot of shit they did in this first season, um, you know, they they had an inclination that they wanted to build on later, and then they just kind of don't. And... um they don't do much with the idea of recurring characters in the end. You know, they, they seem to have some half form thoughts or some guys like Ensign Vorik who ends up showing up in the next season. And, you know, there's, there's a couple of these guys who, who have two or three episodes they show up in, but they never follow that thread through in a, in, a, in any, in any way. I'd say the side character that gets the most mentioned throughout the, the series is the Delaney sisters, believe it or not. They only show up once, but they get mentioned a lot. It's it's a lot at the end of the missed opportunity. It's and you know we'll, we'll get into uh, this when we do our live show. Which, by the way, uh, internet, when you hear this, just wanted to let you know, FYI, our our live stream celebration slash deep dive slash question and answer. I want to throw something else in there. I think we need to do end of season awards. I think we need to come up with some categories and I think we need to nominate and crown some, some awarded positions for characters, situations and concepts pertaining to this season. Yeah. Why don't we do that on the Facebook? We'll, uh, we'll throw up not, you know, some people to, to, to give us nominations for, for different categories. And then we'll, we'll, we'll crown the award winners during our, our live stream episode, which will be, on Monday, May 7th, we'll probably start around 8 p.m. And we'll let everybody know through every way that we can. And then uh, we'll do that. We'll go as, as long as we've got, you know, uh, stuff to talk about. And then we'll, we'll probably upload that on Thursday uh, as a replacement for our usual episode. Uh, and then the next week on uh, on May 17th, you'll hear our episode uh reviewing the uh, the very next installment of Voyager, which, uh, Peter, why don't you tell us what that's going to be? I get to take over on this now. This is another thing we're doing to change things up. Since I've never seen any of this stuff, I'm going to read you the Netflix description. We'll let Joe uh, reminisce on a sec. Season 2, Episode 1. I actually saw this in the production notes. Even though this is Season 2, I believe they filmed this for Season 1, so we're not really getting fresh Season 1 hotness. But Season 2, Episode 1, the 37s. Voyager answers an ancient SOS distress and finds eight humans, including Amelia Earhart, in cryostasis on a nearby planet. Yep, that's gonna happen. That's where I'm we over start. here. I'm jam- just based off of that. I'm jamming my fucking pen down my throat, trying to throw up. What the fuck are you doing, production? You're gonna end a season one. On this middle of the road wallflower episode, and you're going to start season two with Amelia. What? <laughs> Do you not want people watching this fucking episode? Does this series have a self annihilation impulse? 
Well, Joe, is this as bad as it reads? <laughs> oh, it's 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 completely patently fucking ridiculous. I don't call I don't consider it like a terrible episode, but it is it is absurd that it is a thing. It is you'll see it and you're like, am I really watching this? The show is jumping the shark pretty fucking early. <laughs> so Jesus Christ, I would rather watch an. I mean, obvious. I would rather watch an episode about my friends. Catholic girls school skirt adventures <laughs> what I think you've convinced me into watching uh, <laughs> this is this is this right. is punishment for you this is you've done yeah. something wrong in a past life now 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 I'm your guide through penance you're you're my pinhead you're my cenobite um, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you on our seasonal awards we're gonna do here what led me to believe this because I was gonna spend the entire first half of this episode bitching about Jetroligan. That episode has grown in my head like a a mind bomb. The weakest shit award. The weakest is, is gonna the weakest shit. And I'm gonna tell you right now, reading that episode, I think we might already be I might already have a contender for the nomination of season two's weakest shit. All right, you got anything else or are we gonna we're gonna put a fork in this one? Uh you know what? I think we've talked it to death. Um we wanna thank right, everybody me... for uh for joining us and yes, Peter, please uh, conclude us with another reading from the Ferengi Book of Wisdom. As uh, you've all stayed with us, hopefully long enough to make it to the end of uh, season one, uh, and as uh, the Federation has finally decided it has to get these Maquis people in line. Ferengi Rule of Acquisition number 211 Employees are the rungs of the ladder of success. Do not hesitate to step on them. What a what a prescient choice on your part, given the those the close-in shots we get of ladders. Yep. Oh, hey, yeah, and wow. also people to step on. Mm. Yeah, man, your brain's that working on levels you didn't even know. I know. And on that note, thank you for listening to V'ger, please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. I'll see you in season two. Yes, and I'm going to bring him dragging and kicking and screaming. Um, so don't worry, guys. Peace. What a fucking piece of shit. <laughs>